Welcome to the Gospel Saves podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. I'm Wade Stanley, an evangelist with the Church of Christ. Please visit thegospelsaves.me for blogs, videos, and Bible studies. You can also find The Gospel Saves on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. The Sermon on the Mount is the foundational teaching for the Christian faith. The content of Jesus' lesson is not difficult to understand. Unlike the parables, which were deliberately cryptic, the Sermon on the Mount is frank, direct, and unequivocal. The difficulty lies not in interpretation, but in implementation. Jesus not only challenges the prevailing views of the Pharisees and the scribes, but he also charts a course that runs against our natural inclinations. He tells us to turn our cheek when we prefer an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. There's a part of us that would like for people to see the good we do so that they will think well of us. Jesus says to keep our prayers, our charity, and our fasting between ourselves and God. We want to believe that everyone is going to heaven, while Jesus says the way to the narrow gate is only found by a few. These are hard words to live by. A few years ago, I recorded a series of lessons on the Sermon on the Mount for my weekly radio broadcast. In this first episode, I begin with the Beatitudes, the eight aphorisms which lay the groundwork for the entire sermon. In particular, I'd like to focus for the next few weeks on what we often call the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. These are among the the most precious of Jesus' teachings. And within these three chapters, we find some of the hardest sayings of Jesus. What I mean by that is some of Jesus' most challenging teachings are found in the Sermon on the Mount, even though the, the language that's used is very simple. The Sermon on the Mount, in my estimation, is not difficult to understand. It's difficult to apply. It's difficult to live out in our lives. So as we go through Matthew chapters 5 through 7, I, I just want to urge you to take to heart what Jesus has to say, to consider carefully the implications that his teachings carry for our life. Because if you take to heart what Jesus says in these three chapters, this series of teachings will profoundly change your life. We begin in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew sets the stage for us. He says that Jesus went up onto a mountain because there were a multitude of people gathered there to hear him. His disciples come to him He opens his mouth and he begins to teach them. Now, one of the things that I do want to to say before we get into the the actual text is I believe that the Sermon on the Mount represents teachings of Jesus that he offered in many different locations. Now, I, I believe that Jesus taught all this at one time as Matthew records for us. However, I think that many of the things that he says here, he repeated in other places. I believe that because we see in Luke chapter 6 a a parallel of what Matthew records here. But it's not an exact parallel. So it seems to me that Jesus taught many of the same things, many of the same ideas, and perhaps changed things a little bit depending on his audience or depending on the location where he was speaking. And as we go through this, I do want to draw some comparisons between 
Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6. We begin with what we often call the Beatitudes. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The Beatitudes are simply Jesus repeating ideas we find in the Old Testament, in places like the Psalms or the Proverbs. It seems to me that what Jesus is highlighting are particular character traits that all disciples should possess. He's pulling these things from the Old Law. He's pulling these things from the books of poetry in the Old Testament and highlighting these as qualities that we all need to have as Christians. And with each one of these, there is a promise. We begin with the first one, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So here's a character quality that all of us need to possess, but attached with it is a promise. If you are poor in spirit, you will inherit the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, I think we all know what it means to be poor. It means that we have a lot less than everyone else around us. But to be poor in spirit carries with it a, a spiritual implication. Whenever I think of poverty of spirit, I, I think of humility. One who is poor in spirit has emptied themselves completely of self-interest in advancing oneself and instead seeks the good of others and seeks to serve God. The one who is poor in spirit isn't concerned about what will benefit them. Instead, they are interested in serving the Lord, in serving the needs of others, in recognizing that they are nothing great. That's what it means to be poor in spirit, to recognize that in comparison to God, who are we really? We are nothing. We are nothing in comparison to him. And so this emptying of oneself, much like what we read uh, concerning Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, much like Jesus emptied himself of equality with God, so too the one who is poor in spirit empties themselves of self-interest, self-preservation, self-advancement in the recognition that God is far greater and that I want to serve him and to serve the needs of others. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And the one who is poor in spirit will possess the kingdom of heaven. If you want to be with God for eternity, this is a quality you must possess. If you do not have poverty of spirit, you will not have the kingdom of heaven. He moves on in verse number four. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, there's a couple of different ways to interpret this verse. Some people take this to mean that those who mourn the loss of, of a loved one, for instance, or who are mourning some sort of terrible tragedy or illness, that, that God will comfort them. 
And I certainly think that there is comfort available for those who are going through difficult times. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He talks about this very challenging time he endured in, in Ephesus. And he says in verse number 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Paul says that God comforts us in our troubles, and because we receive comfort from him, we are able to comfort one another. I certainly can see the, the merit in interpreting this to mean that if we are mourning the loss of someone, that if we are going through a difficult time, that God will be there to comfort us. I mean, what did Jesus call the Holy Spirit? In John chapters 14 through 16, he calls him the comforter. So certainly there is consolation that comes from God. But it seems to me that there may be more to this than simply the comfort we receive in difficult times. In the seventh chapter of the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks about the repentance of the congregation in Corinth. He says in verse number 8, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. Paul had written a very stern letter to the congregation, and that letter had caused them to, to feel sorry for what they had done. But that sorrow, Paul says, led them to repentance. It seems to me that part of the comfort we find from God is when we are truly sorry for our sins, when we are sorry for what we have done, and that that sorrow leads us to change our ways, there is a comfort, a release of guilt that comes from our Heavenly Father. He goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 to talk about the effects of the Corinthians' repentance. He talks about their zeal. He talks about their motivation, their inspiration, their energy they received because they were genuinely sorry, they genuinely changed, and they found a release. The one who sows in tears will reap in joy. So says the psalmist in Psalm 126 verses 5 and 6. And the same is true for us. If we are genuinely sorry for our sins, if we change our ways, there is comfort and consolation that comes from our Heavenly Father. In verse number 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness simply means that, once again, we are placing the interest of others before ourselves that we are not infatuated with our own point of view, with getting our own way, that we are willing to yield, willing to submit. We are not interested in, in causing trouble, causing problems, but rather we are willing to keep our spirits under control, that we're not easily angered. We don't easily fly off the handle. That is the essence of meekness. Meekness and self-control are very much tied together. A meek person is not up and down all the time, emotionally speaking. 
A meek person has a quietness of spirit, a sense of control. And it's something that we all have to work toward, especially those of us who are more passionate by nature than others. Once again, though, we see a promise. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Once again, there's the prospect of an inheritance, that if I have this quality, I have an expectation that is attached to this quality. If I have this, I can inherit the earth. Now, a lot of people take this to mean that the Christians will one day dominate the world. I don't think that that's the case at all. I think instead that this has something to do with the expectation that we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. That one day there will be a new heavens and a new earth, as we talked about in 2 Peter chapter 3. That God is going to destroy the material realm and bring, into, and bring us into a wonderful new existence. This place we call heaven, the dwelling place of God. And that is what we as children of God can expect. That if we have meekness, we can expect to dwell with God for all eternity. Thanks for listening to the Gospel Saves podcast. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. May God bless you as you seek to know, believe, and obey the Lord Jesus Christ.